This is John Dawson of Patio Daddio Barbecue in Boise, Idaho, and I've got it locked on the 50,000 gigawatt blowtorch of the internet that is Barbecue Central. Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. Boing. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Hit me! Fine, how you doing? <laughs> We have a great show. I'm a big fan. Boing. So what? What? What seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead, and he's in the in the crackle. Charbono. It's all about the Charbono, dude. Succulent fish. What? He ate two feet before wiener. Oh, listen, Lebertius, shut your face. I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seed. <laughs> we have top men working on it right now. Just like that, we are into the second hour. It's the Barbecue Central Show. We talk about barbecue and grilling-related items. If you are just tuning in live right now, too bad you missed the whole first hour. We almost had a segment with Meathead, and then we were followed up by a tremendous segment with Ted Conrad from Fireboard announcing the rollout of the new Analyze feature. So just wait for your app to update or uninstall, reinstall with a new one, and it should be right there down towards the bottom. And a lot. Check it out. Fireboard.com. This show is originating from... Palm City, USA. Cleveland. Yes, that's right. If you missed the first hour, we are recording as well. Fear not. Hour one will make its way into the podcast feed a little later this evening slash tomorrow morning. Second hour will be up on Thursday. And I'll talk to you about Friday here in just one moment. Don't forget... Still to come on the show in about 13 minutes from now, first-time guest Larry Olmstead joins us. Meathead, a big fan of Larry. And you can also follow me socially at BBQ Central Show on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Snapchat, slash BBQ Central Show on Facebook and Twitch. There's also a live video feed over on YouTube, which is slash RD Rempe, where there is a chat going on as well. We're also live over on Clubhouse as well, so if you'd rather hear... Instead of listen, hear, instead of watch, then make sure you go over to Clubhouse and pick up the show. By the way, I see that Tyler Hathaway is in the Clubhouse tonight. Tyler, you need to send me an email with your shipping address so we can get you your prize from, say, the cooking guy last week. It's Greg, G-R-E-G, at thebbqcentralshow.com, and make sure that you send me that email along with your shipping address included in the body of that so we can make sure that we get you all squared away. Uh, we did get the other winner uh, last week squared away. That was Johnny Maggs playing for Rod Schrader, and he is getting his Sam the Cooking Guy book in the mail if he doesn't have it already. Coming up on the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less this coming Friday, episode 237, taking you back to Jan- uh, sorry June 12, 2018, featuring... Jennifer Caudle, who at the time was marketing director for a company called Hasty Bake. Not sure if she still is or not, but she was at the time. Jennifer talked about how she got to Hasty Bake. She was not an original employee. So she talks about how she made her way there and how she is the pitmaster of her household. And of course, we all learned about the history of Hasty Bake back in 2018. Hasty Bake was celebrating its 70th year. 
uh, being in business. So fast forward for almost five years from that and now clipping almost 75 years in business and going strong. Back then, they were touting themselves as being the oldest barbecue company in the USA. Some of you might question that and go, no, that's got to be Weber. Well, I guess five or six years prior to Weber getting into the game, Hasty Bake was making Hasty Bake grills, and it's the first one with a lid or a dome, if you will. So if you're not familiar with Hasty Bake, how dare you? You should be, but if you're not, or you're new to the industry or the lifestyle, then this is one you want to check out because Hasty Bakes are really cool and it's really neat how they operate and their heat can, uh, or their uh, coal drawer can adjust levels and help you control a heat in that way. And for those that have cooked on one or own a Hasty Bake, they love them and they swear by them. I think Meathead's a huge fan as well, along with Sterling Ball, I believe is a huge fan. I talked about how they were big fans of the Sloans here. I believe they're also big fans of Hasty Bake. I've never cooked on one, uh, nor I have never owned one. I would love one. Don't forget, if you want to hear a guest or segment, again, on this show that's been lost in the archives, just shoot John an email. He puts those shows together. John Solberg, Michigan Abedi Correspondent, EP of the Best Moments Show, J-O-N at the bbqcentralshow.com. Tell John what you'd like to hear, and he will do his best to meet your expectations. And now, a Barbecue Central two Show in a row. exclusive news update. Greg Rafferty reporting from the breaking news desk right here in Cleveland, Ohio, Bomb City, USA, the city that breaks the most live fire breaking news across the country. Nay, the globe. And the official announcement is here. I mention it here on this show. And then great things happen. The deal's put together, locked and loaded. I will 100% be at the Hartville Hardware MC, the 2022 Grill Fest event this year. Come get it. The event, which is now, I think, in its fifth year or sixth year is set to take place on September 17th. That's a Saturday at the Hartville Hardware location, a great location across the nation. It's the largest independently owned hardware store in the country, perhaps the world, but definitely the country. And as I say, each and every year, as we start to promote it, to give you an idea of how big this location is. And there are other things on property. There's a flea market in the back. There's the Hartville Country Kitchen restaurant that's to the side of it. There's a hotel that I think that they own. But just the hardware portion of it, there's homes inside the hardware store. Wrap your head around it. For instance, I think I videoed the inside and outside of a whole ranch concept home inside the hardware store. It's crazy. And then they have a bunch of other ones as well. And then they have some demo fronts, if you will, giving you the look of walking into the house, seeing the kitchen family room kind of a thing. But there's a whole house, at least one in the hardware store. So that gives you an idea of the size. 
there's the grill fest, there's the whole grilling portion. I think it's 33,000 square feet of grills of various makes and models, huge accessories and components line, very impressive. All the fuels that you could think of that are available for sale, uh, they have them there at Hartville. And this will hold a similar concept, so there will be live demos. Who will be live demoing? Well, glad you asked. Showing up for Traeger for however many years in a row, my pal Danielle Bennett, Diva Q, who's a delight. If you haven't seen her operate in front of a crowd, you're missing out. If you are around and you've never seen it happen live in person, Danielle is worth the price of admission. By the way, there is no admission price. You just get to show up and take in all the fun and frivolity that's going to happen on that Saturday, September 17th. But Danielle is top-notch in giving demos, great personality, great with the information, great with the science. She's easily one of the best I've ever been around, and it's so great to interact with her during her demos. Typically, she does two during the course of the day. Also, making his debut at Grillfest, but friend of this show, and you've seen him on here a number of times, he is a Dayton, Ohio resident, so coming across the state eastbound, Mike Lang from Another Pint, please. He, of course, will be representing or repping the Weber portion of this. So all the demos that take place use either a Traeger cooker, a Big Green Egg, or some type of Weber cooker. So anxious to, A, meet Mike in person finally, and then also get to work with him in a, a question and answer and moderation MC type of situation. So looking forward to that. Seeing what Mike has to offer. Maybe they're not even going to big the big green egg in this year. They're just going to have a Diva do two and Mike do two. I'm sure Mike could pull two off uh, without blinking an eyelash. This is something that's right up his alley. Always got great content. Always bringing new things to the game. So very excited about that. And as soon as I hear from... Hartville Hardware on who that big green egg rep will be, or if they're going to have one, I'll let you know who that's going to be. So once again, me all day MC worth the price of admission because I'm fun and frivolous. Danielle Bennett, Diva Q will be doing probably two live demos. If I'm not enough to bring you in, she has to and backing Diva up Mike Lang, all friends of the show from another pint, please. And he'll be repping Weber. So two of the biggest names out there, two of the most recent brands going live and public last year, uh, right around this time. So looking forward to the 2022 Grill Fest over at the Hartville Hardware location in Hartville, Ohio, the breadbasket of the greater Cleveland area. It's like a hour and change south and east of me. You got to check it out. It's fun. Very excited to see Mike and excited to catch up with Danielle. Before we get to Larry Olmstead this evening, I will talk to you about Green Mountain Grill, some of the best pellet cookers out there on the market today. In fact, just yesterday, I was whipping up a mess of chicken because I can get a little hot in that Green Mountain Grill by my choice. So I do more of a smoke roast. That's what Stephen Reichland calls it, a little smoke roasting. So, only sold through dealers, GreenMountainGrills.com. Find the dealer near you. Visit the dealer. Get educated. Find the ones that might be right for you. A couple different lines to choose from. A choice line, 
So if you don't need all that nonsense like uh, Wi-Fi connectivity or an app to do all of your up and down heat controls or custom cook cycles, internal meat probes, things like this, Choice Line is right up your alley. You can save a couple hundred bucks. You get a great cook. That's the one I have. I've had for 10 years now, I think. Maybe longer than that. They also have a Prime Line. So if you want Wi-Fi connectivity, if you want to have an interactive app experience where you can control the temperature of that pit and you never have to leave the house, you just use your app, you want to get the Prime Line. A couple different sizes to choose from, the peak and the ledge, or if you want a completely portable experience, the Trek is the one you're going to want to find out. Again, go to the dealer. Touch them, feel them, ask your questions, get educated by the dealer sales. And then when you pick the right one, make sure you get that pizza oven insert because you're going to want that too. Nothing more fun than a Friday night of everybody making their own pizzas and they're done in two to five minutes tops. Can't beat it. GreenMountainGrill.com. That's GreenMountainGrills.com. We're back with first-timer Larry Olmstead. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Presented by the Ryder Deluxe Pellet Grills from Oklahoma Joe's. Howard Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. This portion of the show being brought to you by Pit Barrel Cooker, the most unbelievable outdoor cooking device on the planet, currently available in three sizes with a host of accessories to choose from. If you're a beginner or a professional, it doesn't matter. Definitely a cooker you want to add to the arsenal. Visit pitbarrelcooker.com and tell them the Barbecue Central Show sent you. My guest in the second hour, someone who I almost forgot I had been chasing since April of 2019. I saw a comment recently about Mabel's Barbecue in Las Vegas. Hit the message button on Twitter and then was quickly reminded that I had reached out to him back in 2019. Well, three years later, we are here to do the first of hopefully many interview segments about live fire and food in general. So let's race to the Oklahoma Joe's Rider DLX Pellet Grills Hotline. And welcome in first-timer to the show, Larry Olmstead. Hey, Larry. Hey, pleasure to be here. Very excited to have you finally, uh, after I admittedly had uh, realized I had reached out to you many years ago and then forgot I had reached out to you many years ago. So excited to have you. Now, look, we could certainly jump right in, talk about food, sports, your Guinness Book of World Records holdings and all of this fun stuff, but... If you don't mind, uh, let's lay a little groundwork up front for those folks who may not know your writings or know who you are specifically. I get new listeners to the show all the time that are just new getting into barbecue and food per se. So where were you originally from and what are your culinary recollections as you look back on your formative years? I am from the uh, non-barbecue hotspot, but uh, super culinarily, ethnically diverse borough of Queens in New York City. All right, um, where I it's where I grew up and spent my formative years, most of which uh, consisted of bringing in meals. My family was not big on cooking, um, so I was not really exposed to a lot of homemade food, but I was exposed to a lot of South American and Asian and Indian and Italian and 
Did you know prior to getting to Georgetown for college that you wanted to be a writer? Yeah, sort of the academic that I did best at, um, and I just knew I had sort of a natural talent for it. Um, so as you're getting through college uh, at that, so this is where my force of culinary learning came to be for me. So I went to high university. My mom was a great cook. She did all the cooking. Um, when we were home, my dad did uh, the grilling, you know, occasionally on weekends, but it was like the standard fare, steaks, hamburgers, hot dogs, never any Southern style barbecue like we would tend to cover here on the show. By and large, uh, I didn't get exposed to that until after I had even gotten married and talked to my cousin who was a barbecue caterer. But in college, um, aside from going to the dining hall, I had a buddy that really liked to cook. And as a well-laid plan to get laid, we both decided that (laughs) we would figure out how to cook. So he was going to take the inside uh, domestic type cooking. I was going to fashion myself a live fire master. And that's what we did. So we learned to cook really well. Uh, the idea uh, portion of this whole thing didn't really pan out for us by and large. But uh, nonetheless, we became fairly accomplished cooks in our own right. As you're getting through college, uh, are you also picking up uh, how to cook and learning different techniques at that point? Yeah, absolutely. Because um, after my freshman year, I never lived in a, a student housing again. We always rented a house off campus. Um, and I also spent a couple of summers staying in D.C. So uh, a lot of backyard, a lot of outdoor time, a lot of self-sufficiency uh, on a, a limited budget. You know, So trying to learn to add flavor, uh, that's probably the biggest thing, stretch, stretch the ingredients. And uh, we had a, you know, a Weber kettle, which is, you know, I think the way pretty much everyone starts in the backyard, um, some dubiously undercooked chicken and overcooked burgers along the way, uh, steep learning curve, but uh, got, we got there. Uh, after Georgetown, you do graduate work at Dartmouth. Did you have uh, an, an idea right off the bat that you were going to get through undergrad and go to a graduate program? No, actually, there was quite a lapse. Uh, by the time I went to grad school, I was already a fairly accomplished journalist. Um, I, I just happened to live, I live near Dartmouth and my wife works there. And I had been working at home for years by my, you know, traveling a lot, working at home. And I sort of craved um, intellectual stimulation and actually talking to people. So I started taking classes, uh, which were sort of a fringe benefit um, on the side. So I, I didn't really need uh, a master's for anything that I do professionally, but um, I figured it would give me a chance to dabble in things I had. You know, I took screenwriting classes, things that I just never would have tried. And and you know, when you write, everything you write makes you a better writer, even if it's not a feel. You know, it just rounds you out a little bit. So. Talking with Larry Olmstead, uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Travel Food Guy if you'd like to see what he's up to. Let me ask you about college. I think I graduated high school in '92, and at that stage of life or whatever generation, you know, parents seem to think that kids had to go to college. Uh, maybe there wasn't a lot of kids going to college uh, as they were getting through it, and that was viewed to be the thing that was going to make you successful. And so, you know, we just did that. Uh, I wouldn't say it was necessarily a waste for me. It was a great life experience. But if I look at the degree that I got, what I'm doing today, it's laughable at best. Uh, but it, I think, rounded me out as a human. But as you look at college present day, 
What are your thoughts on it? In other words, has it become an incorrect expectation for everyone to go to college after they finish high school? Yeah, I think to some degree, yes. Um, I mean, the biggest problem is the expense. Uh, it really frustrates me because, you know, the, the cost of education, especially at elite or better colleges, has consistently... I mean, for our entire lifetime, way outpaced the cost of inflation. So there's, you know, there's really no, re you hear these crazy numbers, you know, it costs $80,000 a year or whatever, and, and there's no real good reason for that. It just shouldn't. Um, so it's not so much that going to college is a bad idea. It's just at some point you have to say, is it worth what I'm paying? And there has been a shift as a result away from liberal arts uh, it still makes a lot of economic sense if, you know, you're going to be an engineer or a lawyer or a doctor. Um, but, you know, I, I had a lot of uh, I get a lot of joy out of the liberal liberal arts education and kind of the well-rounded citizen it makes you. But it's hard to justify paying for that. Um, so, you know, and also now with with the way the job market is changing so fast, you know, the one thing that I know as as a homeowner is always going to be in demand is trades. You know, mm -hmm. if you're a plumber, you don't go to college, you're going to be working as much as you want and probably turning down 90% of the jobs because that's the way it is now. As you got out of college, you said uh, you didn't really need to go to, to graduate school as the fringe benefit. You were a pretty established writer. So as you get out of Georgetown and you make your way into the professional world, what are the first positions you were able to secure and what lessons did you learn from them that shaped you going forward? Um, right after I got out of college, I had a sales job for a publishing company for about two years. And, you know, sales is sort of the key to everything. And when I went into writing full time, I realized that, um, I'm really good at coming up with story ideas and pitches and, you know, editors are there waiting to hear a new idea and they've, you know, sort of heard it all depending what it is. You know, you take barbecue, say you run a big barbecue magazine and I send you a pitch saying, hey, there's this place called Kansas City and I want to do a story on it because they have barbecue, right? You're going to be like, okay, stupid. Um, you know, so I have to come up with an angle that makes you say, wow, nobody's ever pitched me that before. And that's what I became you know, really good at. Um, and then uh, I had a lot of like one-off freelance work, but my first really regular formative gig was uh, I used to write a weekly column for Investors Business Daily, um, the competitor of the Wall Street Journal. You know, there's only really three true national newspapers in the U.S., the Journal, the uh, Investors Business Daily, and USA Today. And so, you know, my story, my column ran on the front page. Uh, it was called News for You. So it was sort of personal leisure, how to spend all that money you're making in the market kind of thing. And uh, it was really good exposure and they really liked me. And eventually they bumped me to two days a week. Um, so it was a, that was for, you know, several years, a pretty good piece of work. I've never really understood how writers become uh, or you know reporters or, or writers become writers are you searching out jobs uh, like applying for a full-time position or is it just understood that it, there's going to be a lot of freelance stuff or, or is that what is that what the lifestyle is you, you don't want to be tied down to you know one place or another you want to write what you want to write about then whoever picks it up will run the story if they like it 
Um, no, it's, I mean, it's typically one or the other. So if you, you know, especially if you go to journalism school, which I didn't, but you know, a top journalism school like Columbia or something, you go to work for the New York times or you go apply for a full-time job. And that may be, you know, mean relocating occasionally because they have offices all over the world, sort of like being in the military and, um, you know, and but uh, I chose not to work on staff, which means I have to be freelance, but it gives me the latitude to, um, you know, write about a lot of different things I enjoy. And I think in any job, you know, they say, you know, if you're if you do what you like, you never work a day in your life. And I mean, I think about, you know, there's people who every topic you can imagine, there's somebody who writes on it full time and in many cases they're passionate about it but like if i had to write on video games full time i'd shoot myself but mm -hmm. there's other people who love you know video games right so um you know there's there's a lot I, you know i write about things that i love it's given me that latitude and it also gives me the latitude to do books uh which takes a big interruption in your schedule and a big time commitment and would be harder to work around if you had a real job as my mom would have said Larry, I'm sure we could spend both segments just talking about the background. It's very impressive, but let's pull up a little bit. It's 2022 now, and you're a multiple-time author. You had mentioned the books, of course. They've become bestsellers on all the lists you would want to have your book show up on. You write for the biggest news outlets in the country. Do you have an accolade or two that stands out to you most or that you hold most dear? Um, well, yeah, I mean, like I've gotten to meet a lot of celebrities, uh, do things with them, play golf with PGA tour players, ski with Olympians, but, uh, in certainly being a food person, my most memorable sort of outing like that was when I had dinner with the late, great Julia child. Um, and you know, uh, that's something very few people I know have done and certainly no one will do again, really a, a food icon. Um, and then in terms of me personally, my first big book, which did not do nearly as well as the subsequent ones, but which I'm still really proud of, um, is called Getting Into Guinness. And it's about the history and social impact of the Guinness Book of World Records, uh, which there's a lot of fun info in there, but most people don't know. But the Guinness Book of World Records is the best selling copyrighted book in human history. Mm -hmm. Um, only behind only the Bible, the Quran, and Chairman Mao's Little Red Book, none of which are copyrighted. And uh, in the course of doing that, I took the sort of George Plimpton participatory journalism path, and I set three Guinness World Records, which I never would have <laughs> thought I did. So I'm pretty proud of those, even though they're kind of esoteric and silly. What are they? Uh, the first one was the greatest distance traveled between two rounds of golf played in the same day which was 7,496 miles, which is a very, very long day. What, where did you do um, that? I played New South Wales Golf Club in Sydney, Australia, and Pelican Hill in Newport Beach, California later wow, the same day. Wow. Uh, the second one was the longest marathon casino poker playing session, which was 72 hours and two minutes without a break, which has since been broken. But... Uh, I used to play a lot of poker, so I was really into it. What does that mean without a break? Um, like you didn't get up off the table one time? No, every eight hours, they give you a 15-minute break to use the bathroom, and you have to be evaluated by a physician because uh, the Guinness has really strict rules for setting them. And anything what they consider marathon attempts, which are time-based, you have to have medical supervision. Hmm. 
Are, are so you like allowed? You're allowed to eat and, or whatever in those breaks? Yeah, like, you, know, you eat calories? while you play. Everything, oh. eat, drink, everything is like during during the event. So it's easier <laughs> when you're playing poker than if you're like standing on your head. Wow, that's insane. What's the third one? Uh, the most ski runs skied in their entirety in eight hours, uh, which was 64, which is the only one of the records that is actually sort of physically a sporting challenge. Um, and uh, and that that was a very hard, long day. But uh, again, the things that I, I love, golf, skiing, poker. Uh, so, you know, work them all in. As far as writing books and inspirations, what is inspiring you or what inspires you to write a book, I guess? And then how long does it typically take? Maybe there isn't a typical answer, but how long does it typically take for you to go from concept of the book to the book hitting the shelves ready for sale? So, I mean, the way I, I look at the books, the same way I look at articles is I travel, um, do I travel usually on assignment and have experiences and something strikes me as interesting or questionable. And I said, wow, I wonder if anyone's like kind of ever looked at this uh, this way. So I kind of put myself out there with a lot of input from the world around me and something clicks. And then I decide that would be a great article. And then sometimes I think, wow, that would be a great book. Uh, in the case of my you know, food book, I started, I, I wrote two different articles, one about Kobe beef in Japan and one about Parmesan Reggiano cheese in Italy. Uh, unrelated at the time, but had a connection I didn't really realize till I started getting all this feedback from my uh, readers. And that's when I started to think, hey, there might be a book here. So it's really hard to say because the development of the idea is usually based on articles I've already done. Then I kind of gel it together. Then I write a proposal. Then hopefully my agent sells it. Then mm -hmm. I have, you know, typically about 18 months to write the book. Uh, then it goes to editing and then production. And so, so you know, in the short timeline, it's like a two-year process from like signing the dotted line to maybe the book comes out. But usually it's more like four years because I've spent oh. the first two already doing research and background before I've even done the proposal. Are you under contract with anybody to produce any amount of books under any amount of time or is that not how you would typically operate? No, um, usually if you're like a novelist, you get, you know, might get a multi-book deal because you're just making the stuff up, <laughs> you know? but, but, um, uh, it's unpredictable how long, you know, nonfiction books will take. I do have, I'm, I'm very happy with my current publisher, Algonquin and, and, you know, we have a, a kind of a right of first refusal thing, but, you know, so I would take my next idea to them. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they would love it. Uh, we're talking with Larry Olmsted, uh, getting through some of that background and talking about uh, books and book writing. Of course, that's a favorite topic of ours here on the show. Can I uh, put you on hold just for one second, Larry, and we'll come back and we'll actually talk about some barbecue stuff? Sure. All right, great. Stand by, and we will reconvene with Larry Olmsted here in just one second. Before we do that, I will mention my pals over at Yoder Smokers. As I had mentioned, uh, their sales are brisk, to say the least. After talking with Tate over at Yoder Smokers, they're out 18 months. And that takes you to the end of next year, for those who can't do simple math. Yoder Smokers designs and builds all of their products right here in the States. And building pride through craftsmanship and world-class customer service is the backbone of how they've built the company. This approach translates into what can be a truly bespoke-style product that elevates gatherings with friends and family. And honored to have a trusted place in the backyards of America from pellet grills 
to wood-fueled offset pits and charcoal grills, consistent blue ribbon flavor has become synonymous with the Yoder Smoker's name. And make no mistake, Yoder Smoker's flavor-driven design is unique to each style of pit. And the team has developed their cookers to perform time and time again while lasting the competition for generations to come. It's this generational thought that's rooted in the handmade products and defines the integrity of the core values. American-made quality, endless flavor. Those are the benchmarks of Yoder Smokers. Visit them online and check them out today, yodersmokers.com. That's yodersmokers.com. And we'll be back with more Larry Olmstead right after this. Stick around. Be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Presented by the Ryder Deluxe Pellet Grills from Oklahoma Joe's. Let's get back to a guy who has more experience giving you his opinion than he actually has cooking. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by Smithfield. Head on over to smithfield.com for recipes, tips, tricks from well-known live fire cooks like Darren Worth, Jess Priles, Charles Cridlin. Mouth-watering flavor, no artificial ingredients. Smithfield fresh pork is quite simply some of the finest pork money can buy and the trusted choice for top cooks to use at competitions and at home. And if you don't watch yourself, Joey Chestnut will choke the hell out of you at the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest for protesting them. But nevertheless... Larry Olmstead joins us once again here on the show. Uh, Larry, let's talk a little bit about live fire. First experiences in barbecue and grilling. When were you exposed? Ooh, um, when I was uh, growing up, uh, you know, in New York City, um, there really barbecue had not obviously taken off the way it is now, where it was still very regional, you know, limited mostly to the South and Texas and Kansas City and places. The cities of the Northeast did not have a lot of um, authentic um, barbecue places, but there was one place in New York that um, I consider sort of like the progenitor of all of the modern barbecue places. It was called Tennessee Mountain. It was in the village. Uh, It's been closed for years, but... um, like my family loved to eat out, and it was like the only real smoked barbecue place in New York. And we used to go there quite a bit when I was growing up. And and I guess it was probably my dad who discovered it, or my older brother. I'm not sure, but like once we went, we couldn't stop going. You know, it was sort of like the blue smoke before there was blue smoke. But um, uh, and and I think it was a little ahead of its time, which is probably why it went out of business because you know New Yorkers weren't ready to understand what good barbecue was. But um. But I have always, um, uh, I particularly love ribs, uh, and mm. I've loved ribs in every form. You know, I've used to, you know, uh, I love Asian style ribs. I've had, um, you know, deep fried ribs, uh, Caribbean style ribs. So, you know, I've always sort of, I guess I, I gravitated to barbecue probably, you know, through, through a love of ribs, and now I love everything. I've seen articles that you've done, uh, some fairly recently going over, you know, top five uh, cookers or these are pretty unique, cool cookers to the add to the backyard. When somebody comes up to you and says, Larry, I'm thinking of getting one or adding to the arsenal. What are the ones that you're recommending to folks or how do you go about figuring out what to tell people to get or at least recommend? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's really budget driven. So I kind of live in two worlds. A lot of the outlets I write for, like Forbes or MasterCard Luxury, are luxury publications and people don't care. So it's easy for me to, you know, put in there three, four, five thousand dollar grills, but most of my friends can't afford those. So, um, you know, I keep, uh, I, I mean, I think, you know, for a person who wants a, a reliable, fairly priced smoker to get started, you know, Traeger is a is a pretty good way to go. It's, um, you know, it's got all the bells and whistles for for a reasonable price. But there's, you know, a lot. I just say, you know, go one step above um, the big box. You know, don't get your grill at Home Depot. Get it at you know your at at uh, more of a, a specialty store, but it doesn't have to be a super specialized grill to get started. How many do you own? Do you have a fleet of cookers in the back? I do. I have <laughs> about 15 different outdoor cooking devices. Wow. Um, and I'm a big fan. I think of, of outdoor cooking is synonymous with entertaining. Mm -hmm. um, so we, you know, especially I live in Vermont and uh, we have a relatively short spring to fall season for being out for eating outside but we also have relatively few restaurants uh so you know the social scene sort of revolves around rotating around people's houses so when people come over not only do i want to eat outside but i want to be cooking something that's sort of fun and interactive and and showy so uh you know i have a couple of pellet smokers i'm a big fan of if you're going to be smoking pellet smokers the way to go but i have uh kind of an argentinian style open asado grill i have um a couple of Brazilian Rio Dizio rotisserie grills, mm -hmm. multiple rotisseries. I have a a, a big uh, propane wood coal hybrid grill. So I like to kind of, you know, depending, I have a, a, a product from iBarbecue. That's a, a, a table with grills in the middle, sort of like a barbecue grill take on Benihana. So I want, you know, people to be involved, have fun. Either we're standing around the grill, drinking beers and cooking, or people are cooking themselves, or, you know, depending on, on what, what I'm making, I, I view the appliance as uh, sort of the center of the entertainment. You had mentioned that ribs are some of your favorite barbecue to eat. Is that uh, then, of course, a favorite of yours to make. And then if it is, aside from ribs, what else do you like to barbecue or grill? Yeah, absolutely. It is a favorite of mine. I am a big um, believer that uh, either full-size pork ribs or uh, St. Louis style are preferable to baby backs. Um, I don't really get baby backs. <laughs> um, they're not meaty enough, but I know people love them. Uh, and I also have a big fan of beef ribs, which... Mm -hmm. um, I think are still, you know, you, you see them more, uh, but it used to basically be you had to go to Texas and um, uh, they are kind of underappreciated, but I love them. Um, but I also, uh, I made a um, a recipe. I, I know you have Stephen Reichlin on all the time. I know Stephen. I made a recipe of his a couple of years ago for a barbecued uh, or smoked um, pork belly. And it was so good that I, I make that a lot, especially when I have people over because it's something that, you know, a lot of people never have had. And um, if you're mixing up, you know, meats, I'm a, again, a big fan of mixed platters, have some sausages on there too, different things. So, you know, that's a good one because you can't eat that much of it, but it, it really adds, adds to it. Um, I love brisket. I love burnt ends. Uh, I don't make it that much because... Um, we usually don't have enough people to, to knock it all back. Uh, that's like a party food. Um, and then, 
you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of big cuts of meat. I like to smoke a, pri- a, a prime rib, a uh, bone-in mm-hmm. prime rib. I think that's a really underrated, um, tastes great, comes off great. So, yeah, I'm always sort of experimenting. Late, uh, most recently, um, I've been grilling, not smoking, a lot of uh, fish, which is more di- more challenging. Um, we've just been eating more fish, and I just recently went um, – on a fishing trip to Alaska. So I now have my freezer full of like a lifetime supply of salmon, cod, halibut that I'm trying to figure out how to cook. So, uh, Larry, as you've started to a, be a fan and then, you know, cover the industry, what's the evolution been like for you over the past 10 years or so? You mean of my perception or yeah, for like me how personally? you've seen it covering it? What, what's changed or what have been the big benchmarks? I mean, I think the great thing is that quality barbecue has become accessible early on, you know, when places started opening uh, in cities like New York or Cleveland, um, you know, there was a lot of kind of pushback from the, the old school barbecue people like, oh, you can't have good barbecue, you know, in these places, um, which I don't think is true. You can have good barbecue anywhere as long as you know what you're doing. Um, so I think it's in, in a way, it's kind of great that. Um, you don't have to go to Alabama to have barbecue, but it's still really worthwhile. I mean, I have traveled extensively across the South and uh, the Southwest. Um, I love, you know, classic barbecue joints and each one has something really distinctive and some of the best things I've have have been at some of those. And typically they are better than uh the nouveau barbecue places you get in the cities. But it's nice that, you know, to be to be able to at least, you know, get something pretty good um pretty easily. And then um, you know, it's obviously made everybody everybody has become a barbecue expert uh in a way or, you know, they think they're a barbecue expert in a way that, you know, it used to be a, a very small number of people cooking. But but that's sort of the same with every kind of food, thanks to social media and the Food Network and all of these these shows. So um, I'm also, you know, like I, one thing I've learned is there's not uh, not really such a thing as authentic, um, you know, if, you, you know, people talk about like, oh, authentic Mexican cuisine. But if you go to some town in Mexico, the two grandmas make it differently, you know, where it comes from. Everybody has their own spin. There is no like one right way to make any food. And, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, you go to fish and chips in the UK, there's 50 different recipes. So I think it's the same way with barbecue. You know, that we can't be too locked into this. Like you have to do it this particular way um, as long as it tastes good. Do you have people in the live fire space that are particularly inspiring to you? Yeah, um, I love Michael Simon's work. I love been the Mabels in you know both uh, Cleveland and Vegas. Big fan of it. Um, part of it is also it you know d- because everything is good. Like there's so many barbecue places I go to. Like the ribs are really good, but the brisket isn't, or the pulled pork is really good, but the ribs aren't, and especially the sides the sides aren't good or the sides are really good, but the barbecue isn't. That's what I like. Uh, one thing I like about Mabel's is everything is really good. Um, but uh, some of my favorites, um, certainly Joe's in Kansas city used to be Oklahoma Joe's now just Joe's again, really solid across the board from the sandwiches to the ribs. Uh, Central barbecue in Memphis, I think makes one of those perfect racks of ribs. I mean, I have, sometimes I just look at pictures I've taken of them and be like, wow, that's, 
something to uh, uh, you know dream of of making. So um, not so much uh, the chefs themselves um, as as the as the institutions. Do you have a favorite region of barbecue? When I say region, um, I know a lot of places like to say they're bringing their own region to the table here, but Carolina, Texas, Memphis, Kansas City, out of those traditional meccas, do you have a favorite? Yeah, I think, I mean, Kansas City to me is sort of the ultimate travel barbecue destination just because it's really, it's it's more of a melting pot of the other styles. I mean, they, they you know, their big credit is burnt ends, but they've, you know, they're influenced by all the other regions. So, you know, there's a lot of places in the Carolinas where you can get great pulled pork, but you obviously can't get brisket. There's a lot of places in Texas where you can get great brisket, but you can't get pulled pork. Uh, and uh, Kansas City is a place where you can get a really good example of pretty much every kind of barbecued meat. Um, but I do, I also really love the classic Texas uh by the pound, the Kreutz markets kind of places, Smitty's where you go in and, and, and a lot of those places, they're smoking everything, turkey, chicken, uh, prime rib, you know, th um, and, uh, really good sausages in Texas too. Um, so, uh, but the other big regional thing, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of Carolina mustard based barbecue sauce. Mm. A lot of times I don't use barbecue sauce, but when I do, um, especially with pork, love that Carolina mustard base that kind of, um, so that's, that's probably the one regional specialty that, uh, I, I mean, I still meet people, I have people come over who've never had it and they're like, wow, this barbecue sauce is great, you know, and they expecting something that's like red and tomatoey. So, um, um, a big fan. I want to play a soundbite for you. I don't know if you're familiar with sports columnist, Nick Wright, this goes back a handful of months. Evidently a Kansas City guy, very passionate about Kansas City, so much so that he felt like he needed to kick Texas in the balls on the way out the door. Take a listen to this, and I'll get your reaction here in just a second. Come, come to Kansas City for the barbecue, JJ. Stay for the championships. Yeah. That would be my recommendation. Well, you have lived in Houston, so you, you are... Yeah, I lived there for four years and ate what they... Listen, Houston folks, I understand it's been tough times. I empathize with you immensely. But Texas barbecue is fraudulent and not it's not like bad compared to its reputation it's bad compared to food it's just not good is texas barbecue fraudulent to food um i i absolutely <laughs> don't think so i mean just fantastic uh brisket um <laughs> Like I said before, some great short, uh, uh, both beef ribs and beef short ribs. I've had some great, uh, some really stellar barbecue meals in Texas. Though I have to say, I have never been to Houston. It's the largest city in the country I've I've not been to. I've been to San Antonio and Austin and Dallas and Lockhart and all around a lot of Texas, but I've never been to Houston. So who knows? Maybe it's an anomaly. No, I mean, I think at this stage, Houston has some of the best barbecue, uh, I believe, it's got a small handful in the um, Texas Monthly Barbecue Top 50. I, I want to say, I might be wrong in this, but I think Truth Barbecue is in Houston, and that might even be in the top 10 yeah, think, or, or maybe top 5. I so, think you're right. You know, I don't know when the last time uh, Nick Wright was in Houston. Maybe it's been many years and hasn't seen the comeuppance of Texas Barbecue. But just a you know, funny thing, because obviously he's a, a pro Kansas City guy. Speaking of Kansas City, you're also a KCBS certified judge 
Why? Um, it originally started. So I also another thing that I write a lot on is uh, wine and spirits. And um, I got invited years ago to be a guest judge at the Jack Daniels Invitational through the booze side of it, through a relationship with Jack Daniels and Tennessee whiskey. And so I had to sort of go get certified in order to do that. And, you know, it was so much fun um, that, you know, I, I, I later did Kansas City um and some some smaller ones uh or where i live in vermont there's uh one the harpoon uh barbecue fest which is probably the biggest one in northern new england i've judged and it's it's um it's not something i know there's people who go like every weekend and and want to do it you know that's really not me it's uh it's it's too much it's it's like a it's like a birthday you know like once a year you can sort of overindulge kind of thing um but you know it's great because the only you know i write a lot about food and what people don't realize you know people like whatever it is he say it's a steakhouse people ate at this great steakhouse like eight years ago and and have a fond memory of it and then they compare everything to it and you have this life list what's the best but realistically you know we you know the the only way to to really do accurate tasting is comparatively you have to taste both things at the same time you can't compare the taste of of a bite of steak you're having now with one you had eight years ago and that's the beauty of the way the barbecue is judged is it's like a scientifically accurate kind of of testing test one taste one after another and you can see the differences one of the things that makes kcbs unique is they certify their barbecue judge of course that leads to a tremendous amount of controversy every year when the board of directors seats come up for voting there's always a claim to fix the judging this year or the table of death or uh, don't forget about the angel table this and that how are you able to stay on top of whatever training that uh, KCBS wants you to do in order to maintain this palate they think you should have as a certified barbecue judge? Well, I haven't actually judged anything since before the pandemic, so um, I haven't worried about it a lot. But I, you know, one of the when I when I did the the first time I did the course. I remember one of the things that really stuck with me was they were talking about tasting ribs and the texture of a rib and had, it shouldn't be too tender. And I, you know, it really stuck with me because I've always loved, like, I, I believe that when you take a bite out of a rib, you should sort of see your teeth marks, you know, it should leave like a bite shaped missing piece of meat. It shouldn't pull the entire meat off the bone when you take a bite. And I've so many times I see people writing about not barbecue, don't know about barbecue, you know, maybe restaurant critics in other cities saying, oh, you know, fall off the bone. And to them, that's a good thing. And to me, that's not a good thing. So, um, you know, that was kind of the one really big takeaway that has stuck with me from that judging experience is 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 texture and how important it is. Uh, last question before I let you go tonight, Larry, and appreciate the time. General barbecue awareness question, just to see what people actually know about this, because I'm steeped in it, so obviously uh, I'm all about it. Did you have any awareness that there was something called the Barbecue Hall of Fame? I did not until probably... I'm going to say four or five years ago, you know, I oh. start get I get a lot of press. I get a lot of press releases, um, you know, so if someone is in the Barbecue Hall of Fame or nominated, it will, you know, brag about that. But I don't know where it is. 
Um, well, it's so, nowhere. I mean, uh, uh, the, the American Royal technically owns it, but there's no place that you could go visit like Cooperstown or Canton, Ohio, or, you know, it should be. Yeah. Well, of, of course, but you know, that requires money <laughs> and all this other stuff, a place to actually put it. But, uh, that's a story for a different day. Uh, can you name anybody in it? Oh, uh, I, I mean, I would guess, uh, <laughs> in, in, unless you have to be dead, I would guess like Stephen Reichlin. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, God, I, I'm blanking because I have so many. Um, I have like a whole bookcase of barbecue cookbooks. So here's um, the, the question that I guess that I'm driving at. Yeah. Do they not do a good enough job getting it out to the general public? Or does the general public not even care? You have to be a dope like me to really find any relevance in a barbecue hall of fame. So I think the thing is that, I mean, what kind of gets me is now, especially with the, um, all the, all the different food competition shows, everybody who has ever been on one of those uh, shows, whether they won or came in 15th place, considers themselves a celebrity chef, right? So I get tons of pitches. Somebody has a cookbook, they're opening a new restaurant and they're like celebrity chef so-and-so. And I'm like, well, I follow food really closely and I never heard of them and nobody I know ever heard of them. And then you look at why they're a celebrity and it's because they were like 12th on the 15th season of, of Chopped or something. And, um, and I think it's the same way with like barbecue. There's so many good places and, you know, if a new a new barbecue place opens in San Antonio with some sort of spin and there's an article in like food and wine about it or Bon Appetit and those people become like relatively famous. But that happens all the time all over the country. And it's not that they don't deserve to be, but it just becomes like mind numbing how many different, you know, names are involved in a in a field where there used to be a handful of of pitmasters that were known. Larry Olmstead joining us here on the show. Uh, did the background up front and talking some live fire here as we close out the segment. Larry, really appreciate the time this evening and uh, hopefully you enjoyed it enough where we could have you back a bunch more because there's a lot of great food topics that we can talk about that are barbecue and non-barbecue related. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, love to talk about ingredients and meat and where your food comes from and all those good things too because it affects the taste no doubt larry appreciate it and we look forward to the next time there he is You're listening to the barbecue oh there All we guests go. appear via the oklahoma joe's rider right deluxe pellet grills hotline hopefully you enjoyed that segment as i did looking forward to many more down the road now we can really dig into it we set the stage we got the live fire background and now we can start digging into the stuff that's going to affect you greatly going forward before we wrap it up here this evening, let me talk to you about my pal David McDowell and the Do Wellness program, David Leans, davidleans.com slash bbq. So we're starting week three yesterday. Yeah, because today's Tuesday. So we're uh, trimming down a bit. Now we've added the training portion with weights, still sticking on the diet that he has recommended. And again, uh, might be different for me than it might be for you because in the end, I would just rather have somebody tell me what's for dinner than try to figure out what's for dinner. Not all the time, but in this instance, it's great. I know I'm going to have some chicken that I grilled up. I know that I can have a salad. I know I can have some rice. It's all laid out for me. Mundane, dopey stuff. 
And that's what works for me. So I'm able to hit it, stay on it. It's working for me. We checked in yesterday. We made some tweaks. Again, we added the weightlifting program that we started this morning. It's going swimmingly. And whenever I have any questions, I can text them. I can email them. Talked to them on the phone yesterday for 30 minutes or so. So you're getting your money's worth. And again, it's 200 bucks a month. It's not 500, 600, 700 bucks a month for something that's canned. It's not really set to you. He's meeting you where you're at. He's not looking to take away everything, make your life miserable, but he is going to hold you accountable and make sure that you're doing what you're paying to do. Join me as we trim it up, thin it out, and muscle it up all at the same time. BBQ is the way to go. You can eat it all year round, still lose fat. DavidLeans.com slash BBQ. That's DavidLeans.com slash BBQ. We're back to wrap the show right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. Whole packers, full racks, legs and thighs, injecting butts. If you've never heard this before, you might think you found the best triple X show ever. Let's get back to the most homoerotic host out there today, Craig Rimpy. And we thank Larry Olmstead for joining me the last two segments. This portion of the show being brought to you by Vortic Watch Company. Back in the day, watches were made to be worn in the pocket. After World War II, wristwatches came into vogue. Pocket watches quickly became an afterthought, finding their ways into sock drawers and scrap heaps. Quite simply, a tragedy. Enter Vortic Watch, helping bridge the gap between America's storied watch manufacturing past and bringing it to the present day where wristwatches are finding incredible popularity once again. Here's the coolest part. Each watch that Vortic makes is unique and one of a kind. Vortic founded on the motto that America wasn't assembled. It was built. Check out VorticWatches.com for more information or to purchase. And the one they have out there today is unbelievable. All right, let's wrap it up all the way back in the first hour. We attempted to have Meathead. That didn't work so well, but we followed it up with Ted Conrad from Fireboard, who talked about the new analyzed portion of the app, which will now predict the time at whence your meat will finish. And as you get closer, that window will get tighter and tighter. So look for it in your app as it begins to update either automatically or you might have to uninstall it and reinstall it depending on what kind of platform you're using. Then in the second hour, it was all Larry Olmstead all the time. Great background on him and then talking about the live fire stuff that he's into and uh, other accolades that he has within that space. So look forward to future chats with him as well. Big show planned for you next week. Stephen Reichlin is in, of course, amongst a cast of others. So how do I always leave you? September 11th, 2001. I will never forget. Until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, this is your program host, a proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Good night now. Hi, this is Jeff Richards, Columbus, Ohio. You're listening to Barbecue Central.